Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. Hope you've had a good week, and I hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. We're releasing this episode early this week, so you'll have hopefully time enough to watch it with all the other things going on. But I just want to get right into it today, this Thanksgiving edition, and convey to you some very important things about why we have to be thankful. What happens when you're not thankful? Well, I'm going to tell you a few stories. A couple of years ago, I was in Greece with my daughter, and there were some different people in need that were begging on the corner, and I thought, oh, I'm going to help a few of them. So I went over and gave some money to this lady. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I saw why socialism is so evil. It's not just so evil because it's stealing from one person and giving to another. It's evil for a whole different reason. And I clearly saw for the first time, oh, this is why the Bible says, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. Here's what happened. I've been in many different countries of the world. And most of the time when you give someone money for nothing, just because you're showing compassion on them, they say, gracias, thank you, or whatever. But not in Greece, where the government now for a generation has propped everyone up giving money from one group to give it to another. And so here's what happened. I gave it to the lady and she didn't say thank you. She said in a very mean tone, more. And I stopped for a minute. I was like, excuse me, more. And I said, how dare you? <laughs> when I am just showing out of the compassion of my heart, kindness towards you and you say more. But then I realized that my daughter was there. I said, look what has happened to them. That's the greatest curse of socialism. That's why we should stand against socialism. It stops you from having the ability to be grateful. It is the worst curse you could ever have on you, ever. Because if you're in poverty but have a grateful heart, you have a very nice life. If you have an abundance and you don't have a grateful heart, you're in misery because you're bitter, you're rebellious, you're prideful because you, I deserve that. She thought, oh, you have more than I do. You owe that to me. You didn't do anything kind for me. Give me more because you have more than I do still. That's the world they're trying to create right now in America, causing the division and the tension between the classes instead of a grateful heart and those that have less when those that have more are, are kind to them. But anyway, that was something interesting. Then in Deuteronomy 8 in the Bible and many places throughout the Bible, God was warning the people of Israel. But listen to this real quick. This is also what happens when you are no longer thankful for all your many blessings. When thou hast eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest... The reason you don't want to forget doing that, lest when thou hast eaten and are full and has built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and flocks have multiplied and thy silver and gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that hath given thee power to get wealth. That's what's happening to America. 
as we've started to believe the lie that we are successful because we work hard or we are successful because we're exceptional, we're Americans, we're different instead of no, God has blessed us. Then as you read on in the chapter, because they forgot God's hand of blessing on them, he took it away and all of a sudden they realized their efforts weren't enough. The things they were trying to do to create wealth and a nice life for themselves didn't work and their enemies came in and took them over. We must be grateful so we can be free because freedom is a blessing from God. When you keep his commandments, he helps you set up a system and a culture and a country that is capable of being free. And when you don't, you will suffer the consequences. I want to now go through a little of our history with you because you have to remember history. Because if you don't remember how good God has been in the past to direct our path and to, to bless the, the children of the pilgrims, which are us, if you don't remember those things, then it's so easy to become ungrateful. We have the greatest heritage anyone could ever have here in America with the founders God chose to give us, with the way he set this country up, just the miracle of his, his hand of providence on every aspect of it. We can't forget that because if we do, the little freedom we have left will vaporize. Before I go into that, though, I want to encourage you in two things on Thanksgiving weekend if you have time. One is go around the table with your family and friends and have each person get a turn at this where it's their turn to hear something from every person at the table why they are thankful for them. I think not only is it important we always show gratitude to God, but we also show gratitude to each other. We've done this many times as a family and you can see how it uplifts that person that's there where each person will tell them something specifically about them that the other people are so grateful for. I encourage you to do that. And then one other thing we've always done as a family is um, sometime over the Thanksgiving week, and we sit down and make an alphabetical list of God's goodness to us. We start with the letter A, and everyone calls out things that start with the letter A they're thankful for. And we make a long list, then we go to B, C, D, E, all the way to Z. And we've done that since the children were little. And it's been a great blessing because you realize you could go on for hours and hours and hours because he's been that good. And so I just, I want to encourage you this weekend amidst all the fun and family, which is wonderful and the fellowship, don't forget to thank the one who gave you all those things that you are enjoying. And now I want you to remember these things. Starting off with the story of the pilgrims. I know you know a lot about that, but there's a few key facts that aren't brought up as much as they should be. And the pilgrims are in England. They're being persecuted because you have to be part of the state church or you're a criminal. And so that's why they became separatists. They're separating themselves out because they realize, no, no, we need to worship God the way the Bible says to worship God. So they were having struggles, imprisonments, and, and abuse there. Finally went to Holland, where they had more religious freedom, and they were enjoying that. But they started to notice something. 
that their children were being influenced by the children in Holland that didn't have a Christian foundation and background, and they were starting to lose their children. And that's really what caused the pilgrims to come to America. It wasn't just the religious freedom. It was the religious freedom and being in a place where you can kind of set the culture so the culture itself is not destroying your own family and your own children and your own marriage and everything. So they understood the importance of that, 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 that God and his principles should be not only over government, over the church, but also over the culture at large. And so after being many years there in Holland, they realized we've got to leave because if we lose our children, there's no real point to what we are doing. So they went back to England and got ready for their trip, finally made it to America. And after a lot of problems along the way, I think it was 66 days they were, they were beneath in the Mayflower because the storms were so great. You couldn't even go up on deck because you might get washed overboard. And so it was a rough beginning to something that God would bless to benefit us tremendously. And they finally made it to America. I hadn't really heard this part before, but William Bradford, the day they get there and they're finally unloading to go to set up their little colony and to set up their property and everything, his wife falls off the back of the Mayflower and dies. So that tragedy for him right at the beginning, we finally made it, we're finally here, and total tragedy. Well, of course, because they got to America so late, they also providentially, God made the winds to keep blowing northward where they couldn't get down south where they had planned to go in Northern Virginia. And so they ended up at Plymouth, which was providential. God wanted them to be there, to be separate, to, to set up their own government, which would then eventually trickle out to become the United States of America from their principles, the, the Mayflower Compact. That was the document. They realized we can't even get off this boat until we have some kind of law governing us. So there's not lawlessness. They understood the, the importance of law and order, unlike today where no one seems to understand that. You have to have law and order or you do not have a civilization. You do not have a country. You do not have a culture. You don't have anything because that's the bedrock foundation of it. Well, they knew that. Listen to this. I know you've heard it before, but it's so important. Here's what they said, having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, which again, they didn't make it there, which was a blessing, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic. They knew we need to have a political system over us and we're covenanting together that we're going to agree to adhere by the laws to be part of this. And it says, and by virtue thereof, do and act, constitute and frame such just and equal laws. That's what we have not had in America in so long, just and equal laws where everyone is under the law. We see whether it's a Hunter Biden or different people, a Hillary Clinton's, the Obama's, they can do felony after felony and the law doesn't have any effect on them. They're not equal under the law. Well, once 
anyone is not equal under the law, then you have tyranny, because that means some people are above the laws, and they understood that. They knew we're going to obey these laws, we're all going to be underneath them, and, and by doing that, we will have a good foundation. And of course, that Mayflower Compact was the, the foundation of our Constitution, where we were covenanting together again, very specifically with here's the laws of the land. And so that's a key thing. Well, then we also know, did it turn out just paradise and rosy forever? No. <laughs> Within the first four months of being here, over half of them died. That's the price they paid to be free. And we need to remember that. They never got to see the blessing of America. We are the beneficiaries of their sacrifice, their commitment to take a risk and to go do something um, because it had the potential of being a blessing to the future generations. They understood how important that was. And so once they get through that first winter, they had set up their original charter from England to be a communal society, so to be a socialist society where everyone shared everything. And then the investors that had put the money for the Mayflower and for them to get here at the end of seven years, everything that was there, the people would get half of it and the investors would get the other half. If they'd built a city or if they'd found gold and silver or planted crops, they'd get half of the crops. And so they'd set it up like that. But after just two years, they were on the verge of starving to death because of their communal system. Now think about that. They were very virtuous people, if there ever was those type of people. And they loved each other. And they were so grateful to have made it through that first winter and still be alive. And they're doing the communal farming and the communal everything. And it's not working at all. And William Bradford said, after two years of such, with the survival of the colony at stake, they contemplated upon how they might raise as much corn as they could and obtain a better crop than they had done, that they might not still thus languish in misery. <laughs> He's like, we've got to do something different here because it's miserable. We're all starving because we're not able to grow enough to sustain us through the winter. And as they assigned to every family a parcel of land according to the proportion of their number for that end. So he said, let's try something different. I'm going to give each family their own piece of private property. And you are responsible for growing your own crops and things because this is not working. We're going to all die before the end of our seven year experiment. And then Bradford wrote, this had very good success, for it made all hands very industrious, so as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means. He said the women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to set corn. And then he said this, Instead of famine, now God gave them plenty, Bradford wrote, and the face of things changed to the rejoicing of the hearts of many for which they blessed God. Any general want or famine hath not been amongst them since this day. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty amazing to me. A socialist experiment by a very virtuous people didn't work. You know why it didn't work, I think? Because God will never allow it to work because it defies his principles. And it just need to see that even from our founding. Then some of you might have seen the movie Monumental. 
If you haven't, I'm going to briefly just go through. There's a statue there in Plymouth. It's called the Matrix of Liberty by the Pilgrims. And they this monument was put up to remind us of here's the principles. If you want to be free, if you want to have liberty, here's the things you have to have. The monument outlined the foundations of liberty in case we ever lost it so we would know how to regain it. Well, well, guess what? We've lost it. And I'm going to tell you real quickly what they were, and you'll see why we lost it and how purposeful the left was to make sure all the foundations of liberty have been destroyed so we cannot be free. And then when you cannot be free, you have to have a master over you. And of course, that's the position they'd like to take. But the very top of this statue is the Lady Faith and has her name engraved below her. And she is pointing to God holding the Bible in her hand, saying that faith in God and the Bible that's well-worn, you can see the pages open. That is who you must have faith in to become wise. And she has a star on her forehead, which symbolizes wisdom, that because she is putting her faith in God and in following the principles in the Bible, she has become wise, which you have to have. That, that's the foundation of liberty, faith in God. Why? Because then you go down to one of the branches of the monument holding it up, one of the legs, because faith in God and following his principles in the Bible make you a moral people. And you have to be moral to be free. The picture of morality, the lady there, she is holding the Ten Commandments, symbolizing morality, starts inside the heart and then works its way outside to your actions. So when you have faith in God, it helps you to be moral because it's an internal belief and system that changes you from the inside out. That's what happens when you're born again. Then on the side of the image of morality, there's a picture of an evangelist there, which they thought were necessary to have faith, which leads to internal change. They needed men sharing the gospel and going throughout the country so that as people became born again, they'd put their faith in God. They would become moral because they realized they have to give an account to God. And then the next leg of liberty in their matrix they had there was law. God's law must be integrated into civil law. It's the foundation of all law. laws that are not based on biblical laws or unjust laws and immoral laws. And society must have law and order dealing justly with mercy. Equality under the law is necessary for a civil society, as we already talked about. But that's on the statue there. So you've got faith. And then underneath that, you have the morality that comes from that. And then the law in order that, that is necessary to maintain that. Then another pillar, very interestingly, is education of the children in the law of God, which is necessary for liberty to remain if you want it to continue generationally. And so education is a lady and she is holding the Bible in her hand and pointing to a verse in the Bible. And it is the mother teaching her own children. If freedom is to remain, the mothers have to teach their children God's laws. And it's really powerful to look at. It also shows on the side image of it, the grandfathers there that know God's word. They have a Bible next to them with the Ten Commandments and then a globe of the world symbolizing the grandfathers 
must be teaching the grandchildren how the world works from a biblical perspective. A Christian worldview is necessary, but they knew, no, the grandfathers need to be involved in this too for it to happen. And so finally, liberty, one other leg of this matrix, is a soldier with a sword that is strong. He's alert, victorious. He's got a lion skin around him like he's killed the beast and he's standing there and he's ready for war and he's muscular and he's prepared. The result, if you have faith in God, which helps you be moral, and then you establish a society of law and order, and then you're educating the children in the next generation to understand these principles, you will have liberty. That's how you get it. It's so powerful a picture because that's what we've lost today. The, the left has attacked our faith in God. Oh, that's ridiculous. You can't teach that in the schools. Take the Ten Commandments out. So there's no faith. And when there's no faith, they know there'll be no morality. And when there's no morality, there'll be no law and order. And when there's no law and order, there's no, nothing you're passing down to the next generation to keep things going. And when you're not doing that, you will never, it is impossible to have liberty and to be free. So it's, I just saw that and I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? It's so powerful. And I know you know that and, and I know that, but we need to remember that and realize if we're not doing those things, if we're not putting our faith in God, and if we're not being moral because of that belief that one day we will stand before him and give an account and, and following the principles in the Bible, because we know they are true, and having that morality, which is the fabric that holds the culture and society together. And then, of course, having law and order so that people are safe and free and they have the Bill of Rights, the, the liberties that God intended them to have so they can do the things God wants them to do. And then we the thing we've really missed, even inside the Christian community, is the education branch of the Matrix. You have to teach the next generation. The mothers have to teach the next generation with the grandfathers and the fathers, of course. But they have to be teaching and the grandmothers these principles, faith in God. We are moral because there is a God. And then law and order. We obey the laws because it, it, it produces a blessed society and on and on. If we're not teaching those things, we will never have liberty. And that's why we're, it's slipping away right before our eyes. We're like, well, what's happening? Well, that's what's happening. For over a hundred years, the left has been attacking all the pillars of liberty. And so we go, why are we losing it? That's why. So if you want liberty, what do you have to do? You have to return to a faith in God, a love for morality, an obedience to law and order, an education of the next generation, and then you will have liberty and it will be strong and alert and powerful because those the next generation growing up realizes, no, no, the enemy wants to take liberty from me and I have to be moral. I have to be obedient and submissive to the laws. I have to do these things to make a strong, healthy society. And I have to teach these things to my children if I want freedom to continue for generation after generation. Well, we didn't do that, and that's why things have changed. Now, just a couple of things in closing here. One other nugget that I love and a lot of people don't realize is because we understood God 
thought private property was important. And of course, private property from our founders definition was not only the things you owned and the land you owned, but it was your ideas. That's your private property. It's your beliefs. That's your private property. Nobody can take this from you. That's why even your belief in God or the Bible, they can't infringe upon that. That's your private property. They can't say, oh, you can't believe in that stuff. So, but because of those biblical principles were so ingrained, back right at the beginning, our country realized, wait a minute, we need a patent office. We need to allow people when they come up with a good idea to patent it so they can reap the benefit of all that work they put into designing and, and, and making it work, whatever the invention was. I remember in grade school learning about Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin. I think it was in the late 1700s. But the cotton gin of Eli Whitney allowed one man to do the work of 100 men in a single day. Well, and because that could be patented, and because people saw that concept of, oh my goodness, maybe there's better ways of doing things than we've always done them. And if I take the time to figure those things out, I can benefit from them so I can afford to do that. Right after that, America, the inventions, ingenuity, creativity exploded, and America changed the world. And it still has to this day, has more inventions, more patents, more productive things created than any country in the world and all the countries of the world combined. But it was because of those Judeo-Christian principles that said, no, no, your private property is yours and we're going to respect that. And so it just it caused America to blow by every other country of the world in just a few years. And because of that, because we were blown by everybody, Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman over in Europe said, how is this happening? America's only been there a few decades and they're already blowing by England, which has been the power of the world for a thousand years. What's going on? So he came to America, as you know, I'm going to read you a few of his quotes in closing that he's, these are some of the things he observed when he looked around. Why is America so incredible? And they're just growing and they're so productive. Well, here's some of the things he said. He said, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. I think that's one of the greatest quotes in history. It's, it's in just a couple sentences defining what greatness is. Righteousness is what is good, what is leads to blessing and leads to to what he's came over here to observe. He went in industry. He went all over. And he said, no, no, no. America's great. Greatness is in the pulpits. Isn't that amazing? He also said, here's a few other key things. This goes right along with the Matrix of Liberty by the Pilgrims. Listen to this. He said, liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. <laughs> you remove Christianity from a culture, you will remove morality, which will guarantee liberty is gone forever. You have to have faith in God 
so that you will be a moral person so you can handle being free. You cannot, you will not handle being free. It will destroy you if you're not a moral person that fears God. And that's what we're seeing in our country today. He said, Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. He, he realized when religion is so powerful and dominant, it affects politics and how things are done, which of course it does. He said, in France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. That's what I'm talking about. They're crying freedom so they can be immoral or get drunk or use drugs like a lot of the people in our country today. And he said, no, in America, Freedom is intertwined with righteousness. We want to be free to raise our families, to worship God, to have the freedom of speech, to protect our families, all noble and honorable things, not to be lascivious and do whatever you want to do. It's amazing. And so then he went on. He, go, he said, I do not know whether all Americans have a sincere faith in their religion for who can search the heart of man but I am certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. This opinion is not peculiar to a class of citizens or a party, but it belongs to the whole nation and to every rank of society. He's saying from the rich to the poor, to the political leaders, to the civic leaders, he said they all know religion is indispensable to maintain this free republic. Just amazing. He said, the Americans combine the notions of religion and liberty so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. That's what the left has broken down over the last hundred years. Everyone in America 200 years ago knew to be free, you must be moral and religious, just like John Adams said and so many of our founders. You have to fear God or you cannot be free. You must have chains about you or you will destroy yourself and others. One last observation where he saw the weakness of our free society and what could happen one day if we allowed it to. Listen to this and tell me if it makes you think of today. The American Republic will endure until the day Congress discovers that it can bribe the public with the public's money. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Right now, all the stuff the Biden administration is doing, bribing the public with the public's money. Once that happens, then you, when you're able to persuade 51% of the people to vote to get free stuff, then it can no longer last. But it's not just because of that. That's just a sign of what has happened. When you lose the faith and the morality and the law and order and the education of your children in truth and righteousness, freedom marches away into the distance. It's gone um, and it must be gone because you cannot be immoral and free. So remember this Thanksgiving just to be grateful. We have so many things to be grateful for. Just a heritage like I've talked about, just briefly. What a blessing 
to be from a line of people that thought like this, that were, were like this. We need to turn back and go, I want to be like that too. I want to be someone that is training the next generation to stand up for biblical principles, to follow God, to be moral, um, and to uphold the principles of law and order in our society. But hope you have a wonderful weekend. God bless you. Our verse for this week, it's a perfect one. Make sure you memorize this one. It's short and sweet, but so powerful. It's Psalms 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. All generations. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The matrix of liberty, which is biblical truth, endures to all generations. If we want to be free, we need to follow those principles once again. Happy Thanksgiving, and until next week, God bless you.